All right, welcome back to another episode of Last Week in Medicine. Uh, today is February 3rd, 2020, and this is our 11th episode. I'm Stephen Jenkins. And, I'm Austin uh, That's Austin. <laughs> and today we have a special guest with us, Dr. Jason Carr. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Welcome. So, Jason, you Ooh. hail from Wisconsin? I do. Yeah, so... We're starting guess, off with some softballs. So <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, tell us about your childhood. No, I'm just kidding. We don't want to know about this. So you went to med school out there? Med school, undergrad at University of Wisconsin in Madison, came out here for residency, haven't really been able to leave since. Yeah, Utah has that effect on people. Uh, so you were the chief medical resident for quality and patient safety at the VA Medical Center in uh, 2017 to 18? It was. Good year. That was a good year, right? And then now you're a second-year uh, fellow in pulmonary and critical care medicine? I am. Yeah. How's that Jason going? claims he wants to do pulmonary, so that's why we picked the most <laughs> hot it's, it's going in well. pulmonary. It's been very rewarding, but yeah, you know, the training's always hard work, but it's been fun. Sweet. Go Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, so apparently Kansas won the Super Bowl yesterday. <laughs> Your favorite guy. Said, did you see yeah. that, Jason? I did, yeah. I, I, and Twitter is, of course, going nuts this morning. So the president uh, congratulated Kansas on their on their Super Bowl victory yesterday. Tech Nine is mad. I guess so Kansas City does <laughs> straddle the border of Missouri and Kansas, but it's really considered a Missouri KC football Mo team. Is, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That well, was anyway. my reference to Tech Nine. He's from KC Mo. He's a rapper, just so you know, Stephen. Wow, man. He, 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 he's mad at, at Trump. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway. Did you did you see the, uh, the the Bill Murray Groundhog Day commercial? That was the best commercial of the Super Bowl. That was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Along with, of course, the one that referenced the University of Wisconsin. Oh, so I, didn't, I didn't. That I didn't was the weather the Weather Tech commercial. It has oh. the, the best dog of all the Super Bowl animals. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that one too. I think he's lying. For for your listeners, they can go uh, check that one out on. On uh, YouTube. So I like that, um, you know, apparently the uh, the groundhog did not see his shadow. And so we're supposed to get spring pretty soon here. But then we had this, like, apocalyptic snowstorm this morning. Fresh pow, man. That's all. We just, I've got mad pow disease. That's all I <laughs> mad care, care about. <laughs> that was, Don't know if the groundhog Should have skied to work. It was Seriously. substantially Jeez. more snow down here. Out there. Know, yeah. You're right. It took me a long time to drive here today. Yeah. It's one of those days where you realize it would be nice if you could work from home, but just can't. Hospital at home. Hospital at home, <laughs> yes. No, but then you're still driving. Hospital at Austin's home, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Happy yeah. Iowa caucus day also. All right. Topical. Mm. Yeah, who's going to win? <laughs> We're not going there. No? All right. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> All right, so I think Austin, you. So, so we picked a couple articles this week, uh, both that have... Uh, the lungs involved, and that's why we invited our friend Jason on, so uh, he can give us his hot takes about the lungs, because we don't know that much about them. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. All right. So um, I would like to talk about an article titled, Reduced Lung Cancer Mortality with Volume CT Screening in a Randomized Trial. Uh, it was written by De, De Koenig, probably, et al., um, out of the Netherlands and Belgium. And... So, lung cancer remains uh, the leading cause of cancer death worldwide at 18.4% of all cancer deaths, and most lung cancers are detected at a late stage, which leads to a high mortality. Uh, lung cancer mortality is higher than breast, colorectal, and cervical cancers combined, so lung cancer wants to get in on a screening program <coughs> like those other cancers have. Uh, the authors remind us that 17 to 28% of adults currently smoke, so this will be an issue for a long time. 
Um, a little bit further background, as you both may recall, may recall the U.S.-based National Lung Screening, lung cancer screening trial, or NLST, um, showed that CT scans resulted in 20% lower mortality from lung cancer than chest radiography among patients at high risk for lung cancer. However, folks kind of thought that wasn't really the right, the right question, CT versus chest x-ray, so the USPSTF asked for independent review and a modeling study, which was completed by this group in 2014, in which five independent models helped determine optimal candidates for screening. From this, the USPSTF made a recommendation in 2014 for annual low-dose CT screening in adults aged 55 to 80 years with at least a 30-pack year smoking history who are current smokers or who have quit within the last 15 years. Now, no other trials have reported on benefits of lung cancer screening with respect to mortality, so now we have the Netherlands Leuven's Lung Canker Screening Onderzoek, or wow. Nelson trial. That was some really good Dutch. Lung canker <laughs> means lung cancer, so keep up, okay? Uh, <laughs> but uh, Onderzoek <laughs> means examination, anyway. Um, Thank you, Google And that all Translate. comes out to Nelson? Nelson, That's yep. the trial? The That's Nelson trial. The Nelson trial. You hmm. got it. Cool. Jason, are you screening patients for lung cancer in your clinic currently is, based this, on USPSTF? Uh, this is a topic very near and dear to our clinic's heart, and we get quite a few referrals either for people who have had CT scans obtained outside of our system or in their primary care office, and then also we follow a pretty solid cohort of patients who you know, we've initiated screening on in our clinic as well. Interesting. Okay, so this is being done, but we're hopeful that this article will shed a little further light on what we should do and how. So um, the Dutch and Belgians got together with their nationalized health systems and they calculated power for a 20 to 25% mortality benefit based on previous models from prostate cancer study, studies with an assumed mortality of 3.4 per thousand person years without lung cancer screening. Ultimately, they sent surveys to 15,792 formal participants who met the inclusion criteria, which we should note were different than the NLST or NSLT trial. Um, they had to be they had to have smoked 15 cigarettes per day during the last 25 years, or 10 cigarettes per day during the last 30 years, and have to be a current or former smoker who quit smoking less than or equal to 10 years ago. Do we remember what the criteria were for the NLST? Wasn't it like 30 pack years or yes. something? Yeah, 30, 30 pack years, and they had to have if they quit smoking, it had to be within 15 years. Yep. So a little bit different inclusion criteria, which is important to note. It's always nice when they change the criteria so that you have to <laughs> remember it for both studies. Yeah. Right. Uh, exclusion criteria included moderate or severe health problems, inability to climb two flights of stairs, body weight greater than 140 kilos, a previous diagnosis of lung cancer, um, or a CT scan within the past year. And then also other cancers like renal cancer, melanoma, or breast cancer. So those were the exclusion criteria. Um, from 2004 through 2012, participants underwent four rounds of low-dose CT at intervals of 1, 2, and 2.5 years. Um, radiologists and computers analyzed the scans with semi-automatic segmentation and volume deter determination of nodules. So this is, this is noteworthy because they used a little bit of a different volume assessment, and this is sort of a, a novel or new way or different way of uh, assessing nodules, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and that to comment on that quickly, the way most radiologists report things in the United States is they do report several diameters, but it, the guidelines are based on the largest diameter, at least the, the guidelines that most people follow. Um, so this is a slightly different approach uh, that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. 
Yep. So also notable. Uh, scans could be negative, indeterminate, or positive, and the primary outcome was lung cancer-specific mortality, and they had a clinical expert committee that was formed to assign the cause of death using flowcharts and predetermined criteria, and they note that there was a high degree of, of agreement between folks who were on the committee. So um, we should also note that the trial was mainly focused on males, given that males are the vast majority of smokers. Um, a total of 13,195 male participants were randomized to the screening group or the control group. Baseline characteristics didn't differ significantly except for a slightly longer duration of smoking in the screening group. The high points on screening are as follows. Um, adherence was high. Um, 467 out of 22,600 CT scans were positive, leading to a detection of 203 lung cancers, lung cancer diagnoses, um, and the positive predictive value of a screening CT was 43.5%. Um, interestingly, at baseline, 19.7% of CTs were indeterminate and 55% of nodules resolved on follow-up CTs. That's kind of just a number hemorrhage, but I thought those were interesting numbers. <laughs> um, in regards to lung cancer and mortality, there were 5.58 cases per 1,000 person years in the screening group and 4.91 cases per 1,000 person years in the control group. A total of 59% of all lung cancers in the screening group were detected on screening, and screening detected lung cancers were much more often 1A or 1B, stage 1A or st stage 1B, than lung cancers not detected by screening. 61% uh, 60 about of screening detected cancers were adenocarcinoma. And um, at 10 years of follow-up, 156 men in the screening group and 206 in the control group had died from lung cancer. So the cumulative rate ratio for death from lung cancer was 0.67, or 0.76, excuse me, um, with a confidence interval of 0.61 to 0.94 and a p-value of 0.01. So the rate ratio was lower with screening. I think that's the important point. Um, All-cause mortality was not significantly different. Um, there was a subgroup analysis of women um, that showed a rate ratio of 0.67 with a confidence interval of 0.38 to 1.14 at 10 years of follow-up, so crosses one and, you know, wasn't significant. Um, the rate ratio did downtrend earlier in early, er, downtrended in earlier years with women, which I don't really know how to sort of reconcile that. Um, and... You know, there's not much mention of sort of how, like how they followed these people up or invasive procedures, um, but they mentioned that overdiagnosis in the discussion was not high um, and that they use a restrictive management strategy without really, again, sort of providing details. It's in the supplement, but um, to be honest, I thought the discussion was a little dense. And um, I think overall, the Nelson trial shows that vol like a, using a volume assessment um, in, in a way to scan for lung cancer with CT scans um, results in lower lung cancer mortality than no screening among high-risk patients. That was sort of my takeaway. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. It was, it was interesting that they used a volume assessment-focused strategy, and then they emphasized in their discussion that, you know, they, they felt that they kind of had fewer unnecessary procedures, which is something that we actually currently counsel the patients that we screen on that, there's a significant chance that, you know, positive findings or false positive findings that may resolve um, or that you may undergo a biopsy that, you know, has its own associated harms with not necessarily a clear benefit. I think this trial shows that, you know, using a slightly different approach and a different assessment, there is a more, uh, or I should say, a, a greater sense of clarity that there is a clear benefit to screening some of these patients. 
use a slightly different inclusion criteria, uh, which I think will kind of have to be taken into account on an institutional or population level. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the the population that they studied is interesting in and of itself. They excluded women from their primary analysis, which is going to make it a little bit harder to generalize. And I don't yeah. know what to make of that post hoc yeah. analysis where they, they looked at women. It, I mean, it, it suggests or it echoes rather the lung cancer screening trial that there might be a greater effect uh, among women actually for screening, but uh, hard, hard, to, hard to take the data from this trial and apply it specifically to women. Hmm. I do think it's interesting that there is no difference in all-cause mortality. Right. right? So to like really say that a screening test saves lives, it would have to like change all-cause mortality, right? Because like all you're saying is that maybe if slightly fewer people die from lung cancer, but they're still going to die at the same rates. <laughs> yeah. So did it save lives? I don't know. Well, I think this is, you know, when you look at cardiology-focused trials, they frequently use, you know, MACE, major adverse cardi- cardi- sure. uh, yeah. cardiovascular events. Mm-hmm. So this is a lung cancer-focused screening trial. That's fair. Um, I, you know, you could joke that no one, no one screens for colon cancer thinking they're going to prevent car accidents either. So, you know, we still have... <laughs> We still have other other uh, important public health issues to, to clear. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to really drill down on, like, what they're dying from, you know, sort of a subgroup analysis of a subgroup. Like, sure. I would rather die from a car accident than lung cancer. You know? <laughs> Noted. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, yeah, and then I guess it's also interesting, like, they actually had to have a committee review the cause of death on the patients, right? They were looking at de- death certificates to see, and they had to, like, decide altogether if they agreed that lung cancer was the cause of their death. Mm-hmm. And the, I think it said in the paper, like, the, you know, 86% concordance in the, in the committee, which is impressively pretty, good pretty good yeah. um but still like it's it's kind of a fraught process if you're like you know reviewing these death certificates and deciding yes lung cancer contributed to that death or not i also thought it was interesting and and it makes sense that a lot of the cancers picked up in screening were like 1a mm-hmm. cancer like you know early small exactly yeah. when when you can actually make a difference versus in the in the control group you know, almost 50% of those cancers were stage four, right? Mm-hmm. So that is the goal, right, is to pick it up early. Um, but yeah. Well, then people too, you know, they just to compare and contrast quickly with the LSCT as well, that they used a slightly different screening interval uh, than the original trial. They also screened uh, more total times, four instead of three. And then uh, lastly, that, you know, people who are identified early as having cancer, you know, typically have more kind of hawkish follow-up on an ongoing basis. So if you are, you know, diagnosed and treated with cancer, you may experience other kind of benefits of being connected with the healthcare system that those who weren't screened did not. Good point. I do think, um, oh, (laughs) I think it's interesting that USPSTF recommends an annual low-dose CT, don't they? As compared to the trials where they're doing one, two, 2.5, you know, three or four CT scans. I don't know how to reconcile exactly. that. Exactly. That, and that's based on the lung cancer screening trial where they did annual, probably more so for convenience and, uh, you know, a prag- pragmatic standpoint. Uh, I'm not, I have to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure how they got to the decision point on the intervals they made, although I think it came from statistical modeling and the such. Yeah, All so, right. you know, I think a lot of data, a little dense, um, probably 
counsel your patients, but think about low-dose CTs mm-hmm. for lung cancer screening in a high-risk population. Definitely. All right. Cool. All right. So the other study we're going to talk about is uh, it's from the New England Journal of Medicine on January 30th, 2020. It's a conservative versus interventional treatment for spontaneous pneumothorax. Um, and this is from Dr. S.G.A. Brown uh, et al., and uh, it comes from uh, Australia and New Zealand. So I guess the standard therapy for a moderate to large spontaneous pneumothorax is chest tube drainage. That's, uh, you know, pretty standard. And apparently there was never really any high-quality trials that actually compared um, conservative management to that approach. I think standard treatment is usually just what Shig tells me. (laughs) Right? For those who aren't from Utah, that's a very famous pulmonologist in our area. Okay. Mythical. Um, So the British Thoracic Society recommends using a needle to try to aspirate the pneumothorax, and if that doesn't work, then you should put a tube in. But the American College of Chest Physician guidelines say go straight to the tube. So do you have anything to say about that, Jason? (laughs) Yeah, no, this was actually really fun uh, to go back and look at a few of the references cited in all the guidelines. So most people are probably familiar with the British Thoracic Society guidelines, which suggest um, you know, using a cutoff of two centimeters, so the, the distance between the ribs and the pleura of two centimeters, in deciding whether or not to, you know, evacuate a pneumothorax. Um, I completely forgot the question I was answering. Already. Oh, no, I mean, the British <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. the needle. So where, needle, needle versus in. not. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the British have advocated this. They have a much higher rate of pneumothor- spontaneous pneumothoraces in their population hmm. um, than the Americans do. And so they've they've taken a slightly different approach, and most people here obviously don't do needle uh, evacuations. So is Britain still like part of the organized world? Are we like still talking about them? Like they, they haven't just... brexited from the medical literature <laughs> oh, okay. yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this study is super interesting because they decided to compare chest tube to conservative management. It's a multi-center trial involving 39 hospitals in Australia, and New Zealand. They enrolled 316 patients between the ages of 14 and 50 who had a first-ever unilateral moderate-to-large spontaneous pneumothorax, and the size of the pneumothorax was defined by the Collins equation. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a radiology it's, thing. It's actually something you can do. Uh, it's, it's simple, you know, arithmetic. You could do with a cal- you know, a, an iPhone-based calculator using an AP and PA. Or excuse you just me, measure an PA and lateral film. Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's three measurements and then uh, two manipulations. It's, I, I, don't ha- I don't have the formula memorized, but you can look it up pretty quickly on Google. Is that Sweet. something that you do when you see a pneumothorax? Is uh, the I would be lying if I time, said right? yes. Yeah, you just uh, look at it and you're like, "That's a uh, moderate big. to large." We don't, we don't use the Collins as the make or break decision, okay. but it, it's available. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's good to have a standardized way for a trial, right? So, yeah. so they were randomized to either interventional arm, which was a chest tube, or conservative management. Uh, patients that were randomized to conservative therapy were watched in the emergency department for four hours. And then a chest x-ray was repeated. If there was no enlargement and the patient didn't need oxygen and could walk without difficulty, they were discharged with pain meds and outpatient follow-up. Interventions were allowed in the conservative group if they developed clinically significant symptoms like chest pain or shortness of breath, um, physiologic instability like hypotension, tachycardia, hypoxemia, or tachypnea, or if the repeat chest x-ray showed that the pneumothorax was getting bigger. Um, and in the conservative arm, 137 of the 162 patients, so 84.6%, did not get any intervention. 
Uh, patients in the intervention group got a small bore Seldinger type chest tube, uh, less than or equal to 12 French, and this was attached to a water seal for one hour. And if the lung had re-expanded and there was no air leak, the tube was clamped for four hours. And if the lung remained fully expanded, the chest tube was removed and the patient was discharged. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen before in our hospital. Uh, not in America. Well, you know, um, American ERs are a little different. There's different pressures on turnover. Yeah. We don't have as many observation units. But this would be similar to, you know, somebody being, you know, admitted under OBS to the palm service or something like mm. that for... But you're right, it probably wouldn't occur in the ER here. Yeah, we just don't have enough beds. So uh, in both groups, if the pneumothorax grew, then the patient would be admitted to the hospital for continued drainage. Uh, in the intervention arm, 10 patients, so 6.5% refused to get an intervention, and they were managed conservatively. So the primary non-inferiority outcome they were looking at was full lung expansion within eight weeks of randomization. So at eight weeks, they were missing data on 23 patients in the intervention group and 37 in the conservative group. Uh, 16 of those patients were assessed within nine weeks, and another six were assessed sometime after nine weeks. Um, but these patients were excluded from the primary complete case analysis. Uh, so for, for patients who got a chest tube, 98.5% had resolution of their pneumothorax at eight weeks, compared to 94.4% of patients who were managed conservatively. Uh, with a 95% confidence interval of minus 8.6% to 0.5. So this was within their pre-specified non-inferiority margin of minus 9 percentage points that they established previously. So, um, yeah, so then they did a sensitivity analysis where they included the patients who were assessed within nine weeks and uh, non-inferiority was maintained. But in another sensitivity analysis where they designated missing data after eight weeks as a failure, uh, the non-inferiority for resolution was not maintained. And so the authors say that this missing data after eight weeks kind of makes their statistical analysis, quote unquote, fragile. Love that. Yes. Very fragile. Moderate, but statistically fragile. And, <laughs> and they repeated that several times, I think, uh, out of a sense of self-deprecation. But it was. You know, from an outsider's perspective, you'd think that you know the patients who are continuing to have symptoms or recurrent pneumothorax were probably also more likely to represent for healthcare, but yeah. I think they did the appropriate conservative analysis that, you know, people were going to demand. Sure, sure. Per protocol, if you, it's yeah. out. We're done. <laughs> Next trial. So, um, so, yeah, but even with all that missing data, the conservative management patients performed very well, um, and uh, I thought the secondary outcomes were a lot more interesting. Uh, so, patients in both arms had similar rates of complete resolution by eight weeks of their symptoms. Um, and a medium time of 15 days in the chest tube arm and 14 days in the conservative arm where they didn't have any more symptoms. Uh, recurrence in the first 12 months was more frequent in the chest tube arm, and that was surprising to me. It was 16.8% versus 8.8%. And then uh, there were more adverse events in the chest tube group. 41 patients versus 13 patients had adverse events, and 19 versus 6 had serious adverse events was interesting. And I mean, most of the adverse events were because of the chest tube, right? There was right. five that ended up with a hemothorax. Yeah. <laughs> more infections. More to go wrong. <laughs> yes. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? The, le the length of stay and, and uh, work missed is also notable for me. That was a secondary outcome. Length of stay was shorter in the, in the conservative arm and they missed less work. So that matters to folks. Yeah. And prior to this, um, I was alluding to this earlier, you know, I went back and looked at some of the studies that these guidelines were based off of. They're from like the 50s and the 80s where, you know, they got these service members who came in with spontaneous pneumothoraces and 
they just put them on bed rest for 20 days and lo and be- got daily chest x-rays and saw them get better. And we've kind of been apparently using that as evidence ever since. Um, that's not quite adequate. So the the editorial that accompanied this article is really nice and pointed out that, um, you know, the fact that we've never studied something that's an approach that we use very commonly kind of made this a prime candidate for further evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, the editorial also points out, and I agree, that what's, in, what's, what's included as, quote, the interventional arm of this is quite a bit more interventional than would be common in the United States. So specifically that two centimeter margin that I talked about, apparently, if you have two centimeters around your whole lung by the Collins method, that's like a 50% pneumothorax. Um, so I mean, that, that's when we would drain. But you know, so anything less than that, we're already sometimes just monitoring. I would say, though, that we have a tendency to admit some of these patients to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this really does is give you confidence to to not, you know, as long as they're stable over a short period of observation, you could really move their follow-up out a few days, get them back to work as long as they're not a pilot or, you know, hot air balloon guide or something like that. <laughs> or a scuba diver. Scuba I mean, diver. we really don't deal with that many pneumothoraces, do we? Well, do we, and I feel like ours are mostly secondary, yeah. right? Because, like, someone was getting a thora and took their lung down right. or some other, like, trauma or something caused Jason's their... Jason's never done that, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, but I just, we just don't see that many primary right. pneumothoraces and them talking about, you know, yeah. just, just let them go and follow up in, you know, eight weeks. I mean, they, they did more follow-up than eight weeks, but, like, it'll be yeah. gone in eight weeks. Like, don't worry about it. Like, that, to me, was just like, whoa, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know that I'd discharge them. Do you ever, <laughs> are, these, are there many of these being admitted to the pulmonary service? Yeah, so the primary spontaneous pneumothorax are typically... Young, tall, thin men. If you saw that the average BMI in this study is something like yeah. 21, right. yeah, um, which is remarkable. Um, these are people who come to the ER um, and they either are kind of evaluated and triaged from there or that the pulmonary service, the consult service, occasionally hears about. Um, and then we tend to kind of see some of these folks in clinic. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely out there. Um, I've seen a few, hand, you know, a handful of these patients in my training and in my experience. So. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So do nothing. Cool. I like that. <laughs> well, we, we always like it when less is more, right? It's, yeah. It's yeah. always hard to look at the mostly empty hemithorax and not put something in it. Yeah. Um, but now I think you'll have to think harder. Yeah. Mm. Isn't there, there's got to be, I mean, it's just interesting, right, that, that, that this was a study. Like, the, you know, there was that like Bactrim versus clindamycin study in cellulitis too. It's like a couple of years ago. It's like things that we just take as dogma and we just do because yeah. like we assume that it's been studied. Like, maybe like haven't been, you know, like <laughs> it's a great example of, you know, there's a great shared community sense within the thoracic world about how to approach some of these pneumothoraces. And it was probably based on really not great quality evidence, just experience that was shared Lots and passed beard on. Stroking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, do you guys have any other last words to share before we go? How are we going to get the jazz back on the back on track? Uh, probably, I don't know. I find that when I don't watch the games, they do mm. really well. Yeah. And then if I tune in, then they start doing poorly. So I invite you both to be Milwaukee Bucks fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't have any problems with that. I like the Greek guy. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, well, I, I do think we should just put out there who's going to win in the Iowa caucus today. Ooh, a Democrat. <laughs> Interesting. So you're saying it won't be Bernie Sanders? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. That's a, this will be I'm the results the will be very interesting. <laughs> They're wrapping up the impeachment trial this week. Uh, 
what do you guys think? Uh, any chance that they're going to impeach, Good on Mitt. convict, on Mitt. and remove? Lots of rays, plural pressures during shouting. <laughs> Strong possibility of primary spontaneous pneumothorax Bring during closing dirt. arguments. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't technically be spontaneous, but... Yeah, was that a secondary pneumothorax? That, I guess if that would it, be secondary. If you're yelling. That's a good point. All right. Well, thanks for listening. As always, if you want to give us feedback or you disagreed with something Austin said, please send us a message on Twitter at Last Week in Med. Uh, if there's any article that you think we should review, please send it to us, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Jason has a Twitter. Right? It's like just Jason Carr without any of the <laughs> yeah. no Without no any vowels. vowels. Yeah. yeah, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> right. We'll link you up there. All right, we'll see you.